Hi everyone, Anthony Fantano here, internet's busiest music nerd, and you're listening to the latest episode of the TND Podcast. Glory to the Lord! Glory to the Podcast Lord! Yes, we are still going strong. And in this special interview episode, we are going to be doing uh, just a couple conversations, lengthy conversations, on the musical art form the musical subgenre known as Vaporwave. Uh, Once sort of a a bit of a gawked at, misunderstood internet-based micro-genre, but maybe sort of unbeknownst to the music world, the style of music, the scene, the Vaporwave culture, rather, has kind of grown into a pretty diverse array of artists and music fans who are listening to these artists who are very passionate about them, buying records, following the releases of of labels like Dream Catalog, which are releasing Vaporwave records, numerous Vaporwave records, a year. Now, we have an interview with Mr. Wolfenstein OSX, a bit of a amateur vaporwave musician and documentarian who had a very interesting YouTube video sort of documenting vaporwave's artistic trajectory up until about this year. And then we also have David from the Dream Catalog label, the founder and owner of the label. And uh, yeah, so we're going to just get into these two conversations One will play right after the other. And uh, before we kick that off, I do want to say that the TND Podcast is a listener-supported podcast. We continue this podcast because we are being supported by you monetarily to keep this podcast going. And if you would like to support this podcast yourself, get it delivered to you via, you know, a nice MP3 delivery, have access to a monthly bonus show, there will be other perks going into the future as well, then please donate to this podcast, support this podcast over at patreon.com slash tndpodcast. The link is in the description. And with no further ado, here are the Vaporwave interviews. Okay. Hey, thanks again for doing this. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, your, your, your documentary really sparked, uh, an interest for me to want to, you know, sort of, uh, ask some questions directly to people who, you know, are sort of involved with the genre or passionate about the genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a day or so, I have uh, an interview with somebody over at a dream catalog. So we're going to pull that together, you know, this interview and that interview together yeah. into, you know, sort of a full podcast episode. Okay. All right, so you know you would like me to refer to you in this interview as as Wolfenstein OS X. I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, or just Wolfenstein Wolf for short. Uh, yeah, why not? Okay. Um, so so yeah, I mean, so I checked out your your vaporwave documentary, and um, I don't know. I, I guess I just really liked it, and and in a way, it just kind of. It was just refreshing to see somebody kind of really passionate about the genre because it, it at least from what I've seen online, it seems like there's a real mix of of different opinions on the style and maybe even an overabundance of people who you even sort of note in your documentary is maybe not taking the genre that seriously. Yeah. Um, I mean, it it's kind of, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where because... Um, like the internet's just so vast and there's just so many, uh, you know, people that are into this genre it tends to be mostly like, uh, I mean, at this day and age, the people who are mostly getting into it are just like these young kids and 
I think the reason why no one has really took it that seriously is just because, I mean, most of the releases that are coming out there are made, you know, just by these, um, you know, pretty much just untalented producers that downloaded, um, you know, like these cheap uh, audio editing softwares and just looping these old 80s uh, funk tunes. And, you know, so it's, uh, I guess it kind of turns people off from it a lot when they Mm -hmm. sort of see that. But if you really dig deep, you will find people who are, um, you know, a lot of talented musicians who are, you know, take this genre seriously and really want to sort of develop it and make it sort of become bigger than what it initially set out to be. Well, I mean, it it seems like in a way, I mean, at least from what I can see at the start, you know, talking about Daniel Lopatin sort of Mm -hmm. saying that, you know, Echo Jams was a, you know, a bit of a sort of hokey experiment that I was trying. Yeah. Uh, You know, as as well as the name Vaporwave, which when you talk about it, you know, you sort of are pulling these kind of uh, political interpretations and these social interpretations from it. Yeah. But in a way, I kind of see, and, and, and I don't know if you can shed light on this, but I don't know if the... The artists themselves, you know, uh, coined this term to call themselves, but you know, sort of making such a genre name seems like kind of self-effacing or self-deprecating. To me, the name isn't so much political as much as it is like a nod to chill wave, and not that it's like you know directly influenced by it stylistically, but it seems like a nod to the fact that you know we have all of these kind of micro internet based musical genres right now and that they're so i guess uh, uh short-lived and they have such a short shelf life although ironically uh vaporwave has outlasted a lot of the recent uh sort of internet micro genres yeah um yeah i mean i don't yeah i don't really see the political ideologies either the only reason i put them in the documentary was because there was so much talk about that and Mm. i felt like and i've heard other interpretations of the name and i sort of saw the whole uh you know marxist ideology uh spawned from that and i kind of just put that in there because i thought that would be a good tie-in to because for a while, a lot of these releases were like sort of critiques on capitalism. But um, yeah, I kind of only put the political ideologies in there just because I felt that it, um, you know, it, it would be best to sort of give a holistic view of the history of how this genre was sort of synthesized from that aspect. But yeah, um I mean, it might have come from Chill Wave. It might have come from any other sort of uh, genres of music. But um, ultimately, I thought that would be sort of the best way to sort of give people who are watching it sort of what, um, I guess, all the hype about it was about. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that the the... The genre is apolitical. I mean, if 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 you sort of uh, sort yeah. of sidestep and ignore a lot of what you know, music writers have kind of tagged onto the genre itself, kind of in an effort to build a narrative around it. Because I mean, a lot of music writers, you know, they love a narrative. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, uh, but but still, I mean, uh, without sort of trying to craft one around Marxism, there's still like a lot going on in the genre. Maybe not, you know, as as far as like a statement, maybe it's not, maybe it wasn't as clear as when it first kind of set out. But mm-hmm. I think you know you can look at a lot of the early chill wave, early excuse me, vaporwave stuff now, and kind of see that there's definitely a statement going on there in terms of like the disposability and just kind of how fleeting a lot of modern internet music is. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I tried to talk about more later in the documentary. And I kind of only, I just kind of wanted to touch on the capitalism thing because like I said, it was kind of like a big thing and everyone kind of thought that's what it was all about. And I put that in there and tried to make like the audience realize, well, that's not what it's about. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot more going on to it than just, you know, um, I guess like an ironic look at capitalism by using these old elevator music, um, elevator music tunes or something, you know? Sure. Yeah. And I, and I definitely think that there's, you know, in, in a sense, I do think there is something punk about this style of music and mm-hmm. um you know not not that i think this style of music aligns itself with the politics of punk and you know i mean a, a lot of people say that new music things are punk i mean you know truly at the end of the day punk is only going to be the only thing that was ever punk but yeah uh you know vaporwave to me seems similar in the way that it kind of seems like you know how to say this without insulting anybody but it kind of seems like this thing that anybody can try yeah, and it kind of it kind of seems open source, kind of in that way. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of seems like this strange, abstract style of like community music on yeah. the internet. And honestly, that's um, sort of what attracted uh, it to me in the first place. Because um, you know that I, like when I started making it myself, I was kind of just like I just did it in an afternoon just for fun, and mm-hmm. that kind of got me into production just in terms of music and I eventually started uh, developing my craft and getting better and better writing my own music and learning about um, all kinds of um, using all kinds of editing software and you know I just started off you know using like these uh, really basic um, you know audio editing softwares like Audacity and whatnot and you know, I think that's, it's sort of a great genre for, you know, these young producers that are trying to get into music and they have really no experience whatsoever. And it sort of teaches you to sort of practice that, I guess. But yeah, um, at least that's the way I look at it. Yeah. And and it kind of seems like there's not really any sort of, I guess, emotional or, you know, though we just mentioned the politics, it kind of seems like there aren't really any sort of emotional or I guess political presumptions that you necessarily need to go into the genre with in order to make it like you don't need to be at a certain talent level or you don't need to be like in a certain kind of mindset or you don't need to be making a certain kind of statement. It's something that you can kind of just, I guess, take a casual approach to and and have fun with without yeah. having to worry about whether or not the end product is like the greatest thing that mankind's ever created. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, it is very, it is easy to make and it's, um, very accessible and, you know, it, um, I think like a lot of people kind of look down on that aspect of it, but I see it as very positive and it makes, um, 
music more or just like the community of musicians much more open and you know much more inclusive rather than it being just a a couple of people who are really good at one thing and they just kind of want to keep it the same i guess and i mean yeah I, I guess that I, I guess that is uh, that statement and that sentiment right there. I guess is part of why, um, if if there is sort of one thing that is that is important to the recipe, uh, it seems like anonymity is pretty pivotal. Uh, yeah. That that statement you made, I think is I think is why anonymity is pretty important uh, because there's not supposed to be this hierarchy of popularity. Uh, yeah, and. Um... Yeah, it's sort of um, this idea of being anonymous and sort of posting music without knowing who originally made it or what it's all about. It makes it more about the music itself and less about the person making it. And I think in that aspect, it sort of makes... um, It it just... It's hard to explain. Um, It just sort of creates this sort of um like ambiance to the music i guess and it makes Mm -hmm. it much more mysterious and kind of you know you're thinking about who made this music or where it came from and i mentioned that in the documentary where like it sort of just came from another dimension and you have no idea who made it and it's just like these weird ambient kind of sounds and you're um i mean it's pretty psychedelic if you look into it like that but um, yeah, it, I mean, it can be. I mean, it's it's. Uh, uh, I mean, even even though there isn't uh, a face, literally a face behind a lot of these records, mm-hmm. uh, because the people prefer to sort of stay anonymous. There's definitely a face as far as the visual aesthetic style that a lot of people are throwing onto these album covers, and and sort yeah. of like what you were talking about from another dimension, you know. Uh, that's what it seems like the music is coming from. Uh, that's where it kind of seems like a lot of the music is coming from visually as well. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm pushing uh, 30 soon. Yeah. And uh, uh, it feels like to me, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of the imagery that ends up on these covers, <laughs> you know, as far as like, you know, uh, the video game styles and, you know, sort of the the pop stars that are being sampled as well as, uh, uh, you know, some of the older kind of... Uh, uh, sci-fi or action flicks, you know, whose visuals some, you know, some of which come from overseas, and uh, you know, kind of like the Windows ninety-eight and ninety-five shit yeah. uh, that's sort of you know thrown into the mix of a lot of these visuals, and uh, it seems like nostalgia, but nostalgia for a time that never like really existed, yeah, because like you know these visuals never quite looked this way, you know, uh, they kind of have this like weird warped, you know, I guess representation sort of in the in the context of vaporwave art and uh you know visual aesthetics anyway and and i think that's kind of uh an aspect like the sort of warped nostalgia which is um i think what makes this uh genre kind of very um i guess different is because it's dealing with like at least the way i see it um sort of a way like how memory works and how we remember things from our past but they're never exactly the same and they're always kind of distorted and um i think even just now you look on the internet and everyone's super nostalgic about the 80s and 90s and that's pretty much all you see and it most of the people who are nostalgic about that are like um you know there's like a typical thing that goes around where it's like 
like people born in 1999 like call themselves 90s kids even though they don't have any uh recollection of that decade whatsoever because they sure yeah and um and i think that sort of aspect of memory is very important in a lot of vaporwave releases and it doesn't necessarily have to be about the 80s or 90s but just about um you know distorting like this perception of reality and making it kind of um i guess i guess open-ended to the listener to what they should feel whether they should feel nostalgic or they should feel at unease or they should feel uh relaxed because a lot of these uh releases borrow from new age samples and you know that's supposed to be like a spa thing it's supposed to be relaxing but a lot of the times it's kind of very unnerving and very kind of um i mean at least for me like i kind of feel like this sense of anxiety when listening to this especially some from like let's say infinity frequencies who i mentioned who uses a lot of samples from uh new age artists and it's very off-putting and not exactly uh relaxing i guess um uh... So, so you're talking about kind of this weird, warped, sort of nostalgic visual approach on some of these records, and you know, and, and also sort of from the music that's being sampled as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, is is it more about the act of manipulating and, and warping than it is about the act of referencing? I mean, is anybody who is pulling from this stuff truly nostalgic about anything that they're pulling from, or is it just kind of? Uh, <laughs> just kind of the 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 set in place standard uh as far as like vaporwave visuals and aesthetics go because it it seems like at least you know from an outside observer that vaporwave has more of a decided you know and, and it's funny given that the genre is anonymous you know a lot of the artists are, non- are anonymous but maybe this is why uh it it seems like vaporwave has a more set visual aesthetic than it does a musical aesthetic sometimes yeah and um I think that's just because of how, um, you know, people just sort of like to listen to the genre and they look at Vaporwave and they want to look at an album cover that sort of makes them feel like, okay, this is a Vaporwave album. Um, Sure. But necessarily the music doesn't exactly have to all be the same because it's really about the music, um, not so much about the album artwork, although I, I do think the artwork is important for just sort of putting an image into like the listener's mind of what, you know, is like the music is trying to sort of encapsulate, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, uh, well, I mean, not, now that we really kind of dove into the whole visual aesthetic as well as the politics thing, uh, you know, because I just mentioned it, um, the sonic aesthetic of vaporwave, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you, de- and, and maybe there are people who are more, I don't know, you can tell me, I mean, maybe there are people who are more purist who are vaporwave fans, but it kind of seemed like, you know, you definitely took an angle in your short little documentary there, uh, that what's best for vaporwave is that we have more producers coming in and kind of fusing it with other sounds and other genres. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's the most important thing um for the creation of pretty much any genre mm-hmm. um you know i was uh i was like having a, like an online conversation with someone i don't know it was like a youtube thing but uh uh i mentioned like if you look at uh 
rock music, for example, and you look at Muddy Waters, who isn't like known as a rock musician, he's known as a blues musician. And then you look at someone like Elvis, who is known as, you know, the king of rock and roll. And but both their styles are very similar, but you, you still sort of categorize Muddy Waters and the blues. But and then you look at something like Sonic Youth or My Bloody Valentine, and they're still part of the same genre as Elvis. But like Muddy Waters sounds more like Elvis than Elvis sounds more like the, like them. And um, I think the same thing is happening to Vaporwave now, where we sort of it's because it's such a new genre that there are no real set rules as to what it can be and i think that the best thing for it right now is to just have as many people try to change it up and try to you know push it into whatever direction they choose and then just let sort of um just sort of let time run its course and see where vaporwave goes and not trying to pin it down with specific rules because um you know, that kind of limits, um, you know, I guess the musical growth of it. I mean, I, I, I can most definitely see that, you know, as I mean, that's, that's the, the, what, what you just said there is inarguable. However, though, you know, you, you subtract out the, the, you know, get rid of the names and the titles, get rid of the album art. Mm-hmm. If I hand you a record that I tell you is Vaporwave, you know, what's the first thing you're expecting to hear when you put that record on? Or, you know, if you sort of happen upon a completely artless, titleless record that is Vaporwave, what are those initial things that you're catching in your ears and you're like, okay, you know, that's what's telling me in my head that this is this genre. Because, you know, from, mm-hmm. from, the, from the artist that you were pulling from or, you know, kind of referencing in your documentary, um, you know, there are artists who create vaporwave uh with completely just you know live uh, organic instrumentation no samples at all yeah uh, there are other artists that are sort of making vaporwave um you know sort of that are sort of bringing a you know trap style percussion into the mix uh, mm-hmm. there are artists like saint pepsi who i'm familiar with that you've talked about who uh you know aren't technically vaporwave but are offshoots of it and are making much poppier funkier versions of it like kind of fusing it with like you know French house and you know just like yes. some really great house music and stuff like that and there are artists like uh, I can't remember the title off the top of my head uh, but uh, it came out on Dream Catalog I believe and I think it was the final album that you referenced in the documentary oh yeah um, 28 uh, 14 yeah, yeah yeah I gave that album two listens over and um, you know while uh, I didn't mind it you know it, it just really kind of read to me more like uh, an ambient record than it did something I would have associated with like you know a lot of those early records that uh had come out around the time of floral shop plus mm-hmm. um you know so 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 what is sort of the common thread to you that kind of pulls all of these records together um uh you know into this into this umbrella term and you know let's I mean we could say ahead of time that just because you know you may have a certain that certain opinion or perception doesn't mean you as an artist need to make a vaporwave record with that in mind i mean you know feel mm-hmm. free to experiment but you as a fan you know what is sort of that common thread that pulls all those records together into the genre um i mean honestly i think that uh that's what makes vaporwave so much uh different from other genres is that it's sort of 
it uh, doesn't really rely heavily on like what its sonic uh, qualities are because it really is about putting everything together. It's all about the aesthetic presentation. Uh, what are the titles of the tracks? What is the theme of the album itself when you're putting it out there? And um, that's kind of why I put that whole little thing about um, the Floral Shop 2 uh, mm. at the end of the documentary where he's saying it's like the post-music, I guess. And um, a lot of people can uh, disagree with that and uh, sort of, sh I guess, shy away from that sort of idea. But I think that um, the point raises a question that... Um, is very important about how we listen to music now and how it's sort of changing and that vaporwave is really about um creating this sense of ambience or creating this sort of narrative that's um sort of in its own world i guess um it's hard to explain but um i'm kind of going on a tangent but like um yeah i i mean there I can't really say that there is really like a definitive sonic quality that makes a vaporwave album a vaporwave album. And like you said, 2014 could be an ambient album as well if it was titled something else and it was just like a very plain kind of, um, you know, just album. But the fact that it has this whole narrative tied behind it and it has this whole sort of central idea and sort of this whole, um, I guess like ambience to it makes it kind of vaporwave, I guess. And we kind of see that in a lot of um, albums that come from before that where they're heavily conceptual and we sort of like to see them or we can easily see that those are vaporwave. Like I can, um, I was actually talking uh, about this with a friend of mine and we were like talking about all these old albums and we're trying to like figure out like, um, if they were released today, would they be considered vaporwave just because of what they represent? And you look at something like, uh, like even the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper is in a lot of ways, very kind of vaporwave-esque. I wouldn't like say completely just because it is the Beatles and you kind of see a face of who's making this work, but the whole idea that they're this kind of weird, uh, you know, Sgt. Pepper's band, they don't really exist in theory. And, mm. I guess that's kind of the idea of vaporwave is that you don't really know if what like the the musicians are playing it even exists kind of because it's pretty much all centered around electronic music and mm -hmm. it it's hard to say what like the definitive rules of what makes a vaporwave artist because like I said it's such a new genre it's only existed for like 4 years now and but I mean, there's so many records, though, you know, yeah. and within that within that short amount of time, we've compiled so many albums, you know, yeah. many of which share similar aesthetics. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the, those are the sort of guidelines, I guess. Um, it's, it seems like the guidelines, you know, for for, for you and, and I and I agree. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's it seems like the guidelines are more about the concept, the context, the visuals and the anonymity than it is any kind of simple musical guideline, which, yeah. you know, isn't necessarily, which, which in a way, I mean, you, you could argue that it means that, you know, these people aren't truly 
appreciating the music or that they're not emphasizing the music because it seems like, you know, the music uh, uh, isn't taking priority and that there isn't defining rules for the music. But I think it, it, it that's actually not necessarily the case because it kind of seems like there's a lack of defining rules there in order to sort of liberate the music, uh, you know, and, and just kind of make it so, again, to, go, to sort of go back to that open source thing, like, you know, uh, it's kind of this... Uh, to me, I mean, if there is any sort of common threads pulling these albums together, it's that, you know, there's there's a generally ethereal feel and, you know, whether you're using samples, using live instrumentation, whatever, it kind of has this sense of being older and just being found. Yeah. You know, like you just kind of stumbled across it, mm -hmm. you know, sort of in a in a in a collection of cassette tapes at like the Goodwill or something. Yeah. You know? Um, like, like it just would have come from an older time, but from that time it would have been like throwaway music or something, or just, it would have been background music from 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, sort of making music with that kind of nostalgic disposability in mind, I guess I sort of wonder, you know, is, is vaporwave a genre that going into the future, um, is, is it going to be a genre that can survive without its context? Mm -hmm. You know, is, is context sort of an integral part of the vaporwave formula as far as enjoying uh, the genre? I mean, you know, you talk about a band like the Beatles and there are tons of people who, you know, listen to the Beatles every day who don't necessarily, you know, know the full context of the Beatles and know the whole story and didn't grow up during Beatlemania, but they could sort of listen to the Beatles outside of that context and find it as enjoyable music. Yeah. You know, uh, 10 years down the road, if somebody stumbles across any of these vaporwave albums without knowing, you know, their backstory or their concept or what exactly they're trying to represent or, you know, conceptualize, mm -hmm. uh, you know, will, will they still be enjoyable, you know, sort of pulled out of, those backstories and those concepts? Um, I think so. Um, I think for a lot of, I guess, what you would say, the not very well thought out releases will probably not be well understood by listeners in the future. But I think that a lot of releases that are coming out now that are sort of very well thought out and they have a very strong narrative and a strong idea of what they're trying to represent and I think that any listener in the future will be able to easily pick that up and see, uh, you know, what they're trying to create. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that can, I mean, all music genres sort of fade from popularity, but there's always going to be an audience who listens to it. And, you know, you look at kids, like, there's always like a new generation of kids who sort of reject, um, sort of the previous um, genres of music that came before it just because they didn't grow up during that time and they don't really understand what that music was about for them. They're used to what is current for them. Um, you know, I think that unless, like, if I talk to a 13-year-old kid, like just an average 13-year-old, and try to have a conversation with him about, uh, you know, someone like, uh, uh, Charles, Charlie Parker or Miles Davis or something like that I don't think he would understand it fully unless he did some research beforehand and he listened to multiple records and sort of understood the whole um, I guess idea behind that genre of music and I think it's the same for Vaporwave now and you know probably 
40 years from now, there's probably going to be a new generation of, you know, kids who are going to listen to this and they're not going to get it. But if there's, you know, some people who are really into music and they're really like to delve into older styles of music, they'll be able to easily get into it, I feel. All right. I mean, sort of talking about Vaporwave's popularity, um, you know, we'll, we'll sort of make this the last question. Okay. Uh, sort of what do you see in the immediate future as Vaporwave's visibility? Because, I mean, you know, while it, it seems like there's a lot of diversity going on in the genre right now, mm -hmm. some artists embracing, you know, organic instrumentation, some more poppy themes, others sort of trap sounds. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to assume that sort of diversity is going to continue, you mm -hmm. know, in, into the immediate future. And also simultaneously, you have more established producers yeah. who are making these really blatant references to the genre, whether they be, you know, Daniel Lopatin on his latest record, where he was making some at least faint references to um, mm -hmm. uh, a, a similar nostalgic vibe. And, um, you know, also Actress as well on his latest full-length LP uh, that came out last year. There was a track on that record that was distinctly uh, a Vaporwave track. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, if the genre has a bit of a second wind in the in, in the in the public eye do you think it's going to be because of sort of a a breakout underground producer who you know sort of uh uh you know uh, re really kind of turns people onto the genre and kind of everybody has that aha moment or do you kind of see a bit of a uh, an elvis type situation coming through where you have somebody who is you know kind of a, a larger producer or a more established person or somebody who's a i guess endorsed by the music industry sort of bringing this sound forward and kind of uh capitalizing on it um i think uh, like there i agree with the latter probably um i think that there probably will be at some point um a very well-known artist who will delve into uh this kind of whole vaporwave kind of theme i guess for one of their works and that'll sort of popularize it but i don't think it'll be exactly the same as most underground it'll probably be uh, very conventional and very easy to sort of appreciate, but still have that same kind of um, aesthetic and narrative qualities that possess many vaporwave releases. But um, and on the flip side, there will also think I will there will be um, these underground producers making uh, more and more vaporwave, and it'll it'll become more developed, and these producers will become much more talented and make um sort of almost be like composers i guess um is the way i see it just because of how um free electronic music has become in terms of uh production um and that's sort of the way i see it is just kind of um you know artists will sort of be more um prone to make bigger projects that are more uh, narrative based rather than just um i guess just music uh styles because of how um yeah i mean that's the way i see it just um probably just some big musician will come out there and make something that's similar to vaporwave but not really the same kind of thing but it'll popularize it to the point where vaporwave will become much more relevant in culture, I guess. 
So, so you don't think, uh, you know, vaporwave's sort of time in the sun is necessarily over. I mean, it necessarily has the potential to kind of lie dormant for years in the way that something like dubstep did. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have guys like Skrillex sort of coming through. Yeah. I mean, I don't see a reason why it should stop because, um, quite honestly, I don't think that a lot of artists want to stop making and I don't think they want to stop improving on it because, um, you know, I've talked to, uh, the owner dream catalog, Hong Kong express, and he's very passionate about it. And he's a very, um, versatile musician. And I think that there's going to be a lot more people like him who are, you know, and they're, it's not like they're going to become less popular because they're going to keep making more and they're going to make careers out of this kind of thing. And already dream catalog is pretty much, um, pretty successful in terms of, you know, what most vaporwave, uh, releases are. I mean, I, like barely any vaporwave artists make any money from this sort of thing. And dream catalog is sort of the only thing that's looks like it's having some kind of, um, impact and, and it's, you know, growing very quick, like at a very rapid pace. I only started listening to it like last year. And at that point it was like this very small thing that not many people listen to. And just, uh, like when they released their hundredth release, I think they had like the top, uh, one of the top, uh, purchased albums on Bandcamp for that day, which is, you know, pretty big. Um, so yeah, I think that it'll probably be like dubstep where it'll probably be underground for a while and then all of a sudden just kind of explode and, uh, sort of take off in a weird way, but we'll see what happens. All right. Thanks for that. That was Wolfenstein OS X vaporwave creator fan and documentarian on the needle drop podcast interviewing about vaporwave, just everything from its sound to its visual and sonic aesthetic to its future. Thanks for coming on, man. Okay, and now to sort of continue our conversation and our deep dive into the vaporwave world, uh, we have David on the line, who are you going to be uh, talking with about Vaporwave even further than we were just with Wolfenstein OS X. And the reason we have David on is that he is from the label Dream Catalog, the founder and owner of the label, which I think, Dave, you could argue, or maybe it's not even arguable. It, it may, in fact, just be fact. I mean, it has to be the largest Vaporwave label out there on the internet, correct? Uh, yeah, I'd say at this point, it's probably the, the largest Vaporwave label out there. There's um, quite a few popping up at the moment, though, which are sort of making strides. But um, in general, yeah, I think I'd say it's fair to say that it's the largest label in Vaporwave scene. Okay, so you, let, let's let's have a conversation now about just sort of what it is like to sort of be at the forefront of such a culture and sort of be running a label that sort of has a lot of visibility in this scene and also a little bit later in the conversation, just some of the musical and sonic qualities of Vaporwave generally and just kind of what you're looking for or finding out there when you're being approached or maybe just kind of searching for artists to invite onto this label to contribute work to it. Uh, but sort of in the process of, of running a label like this, you know, how exactly do you come across artists and who do you decide, who do you, who do you decide sort of makes the cut and who doesn't, I guess. Um, so it's quite a hard process, really, because, like, 
being the largest vaporwave label at the moment, um, we do uh, get quite a lot of demos in, like quite regularly, at least uh, 10 to 12 a week at the moment. And that's um, with the demos actually being shut as well. But um, in general, in the past, um, I've usually been finding artists on SoundCloud, Bandcamp, uh, Reddit, places like that. Um, and then I'll just like give them a message and just ask them if they have any interest. And do you, do you find yourself every week doing a lot of searching for artists or do you, you know, can, can you usually sort of kick back and just kind of wait for the demos to kick in? Or do you often find that uh, what's submitted is not as quality as maybe what you stumble upon? Uh, yeah, in, in the past, it was more um, a case of me approaching artists back when I first started the label. Um, but as of late, um, I've been relying more on artists that I've had on the label for like basically the past year now. Mm. So, um, yeah, so uh, I'd say really it's just a case of like sitting back and waiting to see what happens, really. Um, I do still get the odd demo that is uh, like too good to not it uh too good to, to sorry too good to um not turn down mm-hmm. um that i i have to take on really even though like i've say the demos are shut and all but in general i've been i've basically got like a little crew of guys that i've been um putting out releases for i'd say uh like the past year like it's it we haven't really brought too many new ones out um too many new guys in in the past year mm-hmm. and uh you know w- once somebody sort of passes a uh, a demo your way just sort of what what is the you know and and you do see that it is too good to pass up on what's sort of the process like after that as far as like you know what what does the machinery of dream catalog do necessarily i mean is it just kind of simply doing a digital release if the artist wants to do something physical like a cd or a tape or something like that is it kind of on themselves to sort of pull that together uh yeah so in the past it was uh strictly digital um but about earlier about um january this year we started doing cds uh, and then a couple of months later we introduced um cassettes to the label um so uh, and at the moment, we're actually putting out every album on cassette, and we're still doing the odd CD every now and then as well. But I generally tend to reserve the cassette and CD releases for artists that have already been on the label in the past, um, and artists that I know that our, um, our following actually enjoy. Yeah, and 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 these artists, you're, you're saying that you know recently you're not taking on a lot of newer acts, or you just haven't found a lot of newer acts that you're looking to take on. But you know, from from what I have seen, it seems like there's a pretty wide array of artists on the label already. I mean, are you sort of, you know, uh, ever met with the difficulty of um, you know having to put out all of that all of that material that they're sort of pumping out? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, I even have to reject um, albums from artists that are already on the label quite often, hmm. um, and, and that can be quite a difficult process to like try and be as diplomatic as I can with those and sort of explain like why I don't want to release this specific album. Um, so, like, like, like including the demos that we already get. And on top of the albums I get sent in by artists already on the label, like it can be like quite difficult to manage, like the amount of content that's coming into the label constantly. Yeah, it's it's a vaporwave. I mean, I, I I like the fact that 
your label and just sort of labels in general, you know, especially if they're sort of boutique and they kind of hone in on a particular scene or genre, they can yeah. sort of in a way be documentarians and sort of, you know, create this place where in the future we can go back and, you know, sort of rely on this thing to sort of remind us of, of, of this thing that, you know, either had happened at one time or, you know, sort of this ongoing trend that we are seeing sort of where it came from. And, uh, uh, I, I feel like in a way you're kind of curating and kind of guiding, uh, you know, the, 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 the direction vaporwave is going in by sort of being in this, uh, sort of in the scene, sort of in this high profile decision and deciding which records are going to sort of be promoted to the, to the, to the vaporwave consuming public and, um, you know, which ones you're, you're going to have to pass on. And, and I imagine in a genre such as vaporwave, where a lot of the artists tend to be very, prolific, uh, yeah. that, that it can be kind of hard to, uh, keep up with that pace. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, like you said, like you was mentioning about, um, how I'm sort of curating the direction of Vaporwave at the moment. That is like certainly something I feel like, um, I have been doing, especially in the past eight to nine months, I'd say when entering catalog really rose up in popularity. Mm-hmm. And then um, that's something that I've actually faced some criticism for from people, especially artists who um, might not be able to get onto Dream Catalog because uh, their music might not be good enough, for example, or their music might not just be fitting the vibe that um, I like try to aim for with my label. Hmm. Oh, talking about sort of... Um the vibe of, of a record, uh, something I was talking about with Wolfenstein, uh, was, I guess, sort of the, uh, the, the common sonic and musical threads that, that sort of run through, uh, these vaporwave records. Yeah. Uh, what one point of our conversation was that, uh, we went into just how diverse the genre is sort of becoming now. It's, it's not really sort of like this, uh, uh, chopped and screwed old eighty old eighties and sort of R and B tunes that that we sort of uh, 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 that that some music writers you know including myself you know sort of gawked at uh, yeah, a little yeah. bit but now you know there are a lot of uh, vaporwave producers incorporating elements of pop music and you know trap percussion as well as uh, ambient music and just uh, new age stuff and just generally experimental music uh, you know is 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 there anything on your label you know that that you think musically and sonically just links all of these albums together. I mean, is there something that when you're listening, a certain yeah. sonic characteristic that once you hear it, you're like, ah, that makes it a vaporwave record or that's the vaporwave sound? Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Um, and I think uh, why you might uh, like sort of see like such a uh, wide difference between all the releases is because I actually view vaporwave more as like a thematic concept than um, uh, just like a music genre, which is defined by certain um, sounds and styles. Um, like so, I liken it more to a uh, cyberpunk, for example, where it has more of a, a specific theme or style and like uh, concept and uh, visuals and things of that nature. Um, but there, there, there can be like a, a sort of sound that travels across all the different um, artists' albums. Um, I'd say, think like things such. Like going back to what you said earlier about uh, the earlier releases, where it was sort of chopping and screwing, um, like smooth jazz music and such. Uh, like you can find like a lot of jazzy chords and things of that nature, even in the trap-based stuff. 
such as uh, there's an artist called uh, Vapora on the on the label. Hmm. Um, he he uses a lot of uh, jazz chords in his music, which he like writes himself with his own um, synthesizers. Uh, so there is some kind of like musical similarity, but it, yeah, it can be really wide ranging sonically. It it seems like uh, that there is something really, uh, I guess, essential to the genre in terms of just like a similarity or just an akinness to ambient music as well. It kind of yeah. seems like a lot of the music that the artists pull from in in a sincere way and maybe in sort of a, a mocking way as well, because, you know, uh, Wolf Wolfenstein was sort of making points about um, sort of this music that was being sampled, this Muzak rather, yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of being pulled from in a way to sort of make this conceptual dystopian statement about sort of the fleetingness of music or just kind of uh, how things uh, sort of in the digital age are so disposable. Uh, it's, it seems like ambient music, music that's sort of meant to sort of sit in the background in a sense, is, uh, is, is a huge influence on the style. I mean, w- would you say necessarily that that's kind of like a, uh, something that is an important part of the recipe of any Vaporwave record, that it kind of work in the background as just kind of wallpaper music in a sense? Uh, it can be, yeah, because I would say because a lot of the Vaporwave albums that are out there, especially at the moment, sort of try to hit a specific concept rather than just um, putting out a specific type of song, um, that the music does sort of bring an over an overall like a uh, visual concept to life, and that in that sense it is sort of like uh, secondary to the. Uh, Things such as the well, not secondary, but it sort of meets halfway with things such as the the album art and even the artist names and track titles and things of that nature. So there is some kind of like background ambient aspect to it in that regard. But there there is still a lot of uh, vaporwave that is really in your face about what it is, such as um, the recent Death Dynamic Shroud album, mm-hmm. um, which that was one that sort of. Um, was more rooted in the uh, earlier aspects of the genre with the chopped and screwed style, but it was um, sampling a lot of different types of music, such as uh, K-pop, and I think even uh, there's a Drake sample on there, apparently. <laughs> but, mm. um, yeah, so it really, it, it, it does go, it, it does depend from album to album, um, like, what the artist's overall um, vision and message is, but in general, I think there is a little bit of truth to what you were saying. Uh, you know, be, being somebody who runs a, a label with this kind of music, which which not only has uh, really close ties to ambient music, but Plunderphonics as well, yeah. uh, do you ever sort of, I guess, kind of, you know, break a sweat over just all the rampant sampling that, in a sense, you know, <laughs> you're, you're kind of uh, de facto responsible for? Uh, yeah, I do worry about it occasionally, but I sort of look at the um, overall picture of what's going on with music right now, and um, I don't, I don't really see any like copyright cases coming into action, especially not with uh, underground music. Hmm. Like a lot of the um, like issues with copyright at the moment are more to do with things such as uh, YouTube and SoundCloud and things of that nature. So I'm, I'm not too concerned, but it, it is on the back of my mind a bit. And because of this, I do actually look for artists who are using uh, at least samples in a more inventive manner rather than just slowing it down 
um, like I do like look for stuff that uses a lot of original sounds as well. Yeah. Rather than yeah, like in the past, you could get away with doing a vaporwave album that was just basically slowed down music, which I'm sure like everyone who's at least seen the genre um, a couple of times, uh, especially albums like uh, Macintosh Plus for Macintosh Plus, for example. Um, I think they would automatically assume uh, the genre is just full of slowed down samples like that. But um, yeah, the, it's like again, it's a, another thing which which goes album to album. It's always different, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, another kind of conversation point I was having in the uh, previous interview, uh, and and something that you were talking about earlier, kind of the the concepts that go into these records. Yeah. Um, you know, do do you find yourself more of a fan of vaporwave sound, its concept, or you know, are you also sort of of the opinion that the two are just kind of uh, inseparable? That you know, you can't necessarily enjoy these concepts without the sounds. That you can't enjoy the sounds without the concepts. That kind of thing. Um, in a sense, it, they are inseparable, but I do think vaporwave does has have the potential to become something more than a music genre. Like I actually think there's potential to take it into like video games, uh, films, books, and things of that nature. Like if you look for if you look at cyberpunk, for example, that started with uh, fiction, with um, uh, writers like William Gibson, for example. Hmm. But uh, that's really expanded in the past few decades to include uh, films, video games, music, and I think vaporwave really does have that potential to grow on to something like that. I, I think, uh, uh, I think, hmm. you know, the, the thing about cyberpunk, though, is that it sort of has a, a look to it and not, you know, sort of like a, a, a visual aesthetic that you can sort of look at on a vaporwave record. But when you think of cyberpunk, I mean, you sort of think oh, yeah. of a punk with like these kind of weird cyber, you know, uh, like futuristic qualities yeah, yeah. in a sense. Whereas like, I, I don't know if like there's a, a, a certain glorified visual look to somebody who produces or even listens to vaporwave <laughs> music per se yeah yeah uh, vaporwave is like a pretty strange uh community it's i mean got, va- va- like... vaporwave seems to be pretty entrenched into a lot of different artistic mediums i mean you know it seems like visuals are really uh imperative to the the musical scene um however it just kind of seems like uh fashion is not really something that the vaporwave uh movement has really kind of involved itself with uh, that deeply yet yeah that's true but um i think like my counterpoint to that would be like 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 you say with the cyberpunk you imagine uh, the person with all the dreadlocks cargo pants etc mm-hmm. um but i think if you think of vaporwave you're actually thinking of nothing because it's sort of like a a faceless movement um like if you think of vaporwave artist you can only really think of uh someone like saint papsy who's actually shown their face publicly mm-hmm. Whereas, well i I, th- I think that's i think that's an interesting point to bring up because i mean anonymity was definitely something that was a part of the last conversation and while i think the anonymity of vaporwave is definitely interesting and it causes uh, uh definitely yeah. a very intense focus on the visual aesthetics of the album art on the sound of the music uh, you know how far do you think a genre can really take it but kind of keep this anonymity narrative going because you know i i I think uh as far as like reception and popular music goes i mean there's always a sort of a an element of cult of personality going on 
And, oh, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. You know, for, for, for Vaporwave, in order, in order to sort of grow in popularity, it, it might be tough to sort of keep that anonymity thing. Yeah, and you can even see that in something like PC music at the moment, which is sort of like the exact opposite of Vaporwave in that regard. Um, mm. But I think... I think um, Vaporwave will eventually grow to include like people's faces and people's names and such because I think you're sort of starting to see that at the moment. Um, there's like a lot of uh, Vaporwave artists on Twitter and Facebook and such right now. Okay. Whereas in the past, like everything was like like strictly anon- anonymous, really. Well, I mean, if, but, if if that ends up sort of becoming the case or becoming the norm, do you think that will be at the detriment of the genre itself or its original intention? Um, yeah, I think in a sense it could be at the detriment of the genre, but it could also provide it could also prove to be um, like a new turning point for the genre and sort of carry it on to the next level. So it's hard to say really what's going to happen. So. Uh, uh... So you were talking about, you know, popularity earlier of the releases that you do have uh, on the label. What are some releases that you've come out with recently that you that, that you would say have, have been some of the most well-received, uh, you know, that, that you've had uh, this year? Oh, well, um, I think the first one that comes to mind, and this would come to mind for anyone uh, following Vaporwave at the moment, would be the 2814 album, which was mm-hmm. um, a collaboration between me and another artist called Telepath. Um, okay. Um, and that... That sort of started off quite well, but then it just sort of like grew in popularity over time, um, like quite organically, just via word of mouth. Um, and that's sort of been getting picked up um, by like small parts of the music media. Like I know you mentioned it in one of your videos recently, um, and there's been like a few other sites that have mentioned it and stuff. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've I've been giving that record. Uh, I gave that re- record, I think, uh, you know, a few listens over. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, I found it very ambient and relaxing, and I thought it had a great atmosphere to it, uh, which you know, sort of really kicked off my questions earlier about what you sort of think the genre's ties to ambient music are yeah, in general. Yeah. Because I mean, there's there there's something very you know, very, very Eno about that record, uh, you know, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, my own, like, influences can be drawn from ambient music, such as uh, Steve Roach, for example, um, mm. and uh, Vangelis's Blade Runner soundtrack's definitely a big influence on my own music, and I think you can mm. sort of hear it in that album. And, like, that album definitely can't stand alone as just an ambient work, I think. But I think what makes it Vaporwave is sort of bringing in the whole conceptual side to it with the album cover the and just the overall presentation i think that's sort of what separates vaporwave from ambient music in general it's <laughs> the, the the way you sort of you know describe that is uh, is is really interesting because i mean in a way it just kind of seems like what makes a record vaporwave sometimes <laughs> I mean, not not always but sometimes has little to nothing to do with its sound <laughs> yeah definitely i mean like like the the genre itself so diverse uh, sonically like like you was mentioning earlier, there's a lot of um, trap-based artists at the moment, and then you've got the ambient-based artists. But, like, of course, you couldn't um, just put out, like, a Guns N' Roses album with, uh, um, like, some Japanese text and say that's Vaporwave. Like, that wouldn't catch on. So there is, like, there is some kind of sound palette, but it is, it, like, it's quite broad, really. <laughs> Yeah, it's I, I guess I guess for me, I'm just kind of wondering if somebody, uh, you know, could sort of tell me exactly where the line is drawn. I mean, I understand that you know we couldn't take 
yeah. that you know that two eight one four cover yeah. and put it put it on the new Napalm Death record yeah. and then just say this is the new Vaporwave release. Obviously, that would not fly. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't. You know, I I couldn't even make that argument. But you know, I'm sort of wondering where exactly the line is between those. You know, between the two eight one four record. And the napalm no. <laughs> and and when exactly was it crossed? Yeah, you yeah. know, is uh, is is just is just where I think I'm trying to figure things out. But it kind of sounds like you know, even you yourself as a vaporwave artist are trying to figure that out. Yeah, definitely. I think the the entire vaporwave scene's trying to figure that out still. Like there is a lot of albums that really do push the boundaries, and sometimes they get accepted by the vaporwave community. Sometimes they get rejected. So it is sort of like. Uh, like a democratic thing really um but um i think what i'd say what i'd say sort of defines the sound like the best way i can define it is something that sort of brings this like uh dreamy aspect or just makes you sort of like want to lay back and just like fall into a dream basically which is i suppose where the name for dream catalog came from originally Mm-hmm. So I mean um, that's quite like vague, but like I think that's the best way I can describe like the broad sound. Well, of I, I I think uh, this this dream that you know you're talking about. I mean I I agree that you know through most with with most vaporwave records that I've heard, I do think that there is an element of dreaminess there. You yeah, know, that that can't be ignored. But uh, simultaneously, I wonder it's not just any kind of general dreaminess. At least from what I have heard, I mean it kind of feels like a dreaminess for. Um, a certain type of nostalgia for for a, a kind of an age of technology or culture yeah, that yeah. that sort of existed, but also sort of seems just completely made up. Yeah, definitely, it's sort of like this, um, like twisted nostalgia of the past is definitely definitely plays a big part of defining the overall like concept of vaporwave. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that defines like every vaporwave artist or every vaporwave album. But it definitely plays like a massive part in general, like on the overall sound and vision of the genre. Uh huh. I mean, what, what would you say is, you know, just to give an example, just first album that comes to your mind doesn't need to, you know, be a perfect pick or anything like that. But yeah. what would you say is the least nostalgic vaporwave record? Oh, um, it's a hard choice, really. Like I've got because there's like so much vaporwave out there, and I probably heard like over. A thousand vaporwave albums in the past year alone. Um, but would, would you say? Would you say like? Um, would you say Blank Banshee would be particularly nostalgic? Yeah, I think Blank Banshee you definitely so? has like some elements of nostalgia because um, uh-huh. he does like sample a lot of um, like Windows sounds um, that take mm-hmm. you sort of back to your childhood using like computers and the yeah, past. that's 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 true. I was just trying to you know throw a name. Yeah, out there. yeah. But, what, but one sort of interesting thing about Blank Banshee is, I mean, the way I came across Blank Blank Banshee is for a moment in time uh, that that record from the project that everybody knows uh, with sort of the uh, you know the the digital sort of three uh, D face on the front. Oh yeah. Uh, that was like heavily promoted on youtube like almost every other video i was looking oh, at yeah, for a like, while yeah. like i would see an ad for this for the record with the streaming song yeah, and i was yeah. just kind of wondering like you know uh you know is is uh, are there any sort of uh hang-ups or taboos in the vaporwave community like there are in some other communities like you know uh uh, it, it just kind of seems like, uh, and, and I'll use this term here, like I did in the previous interview. I mean, it seems like things are kind of just really 
open source in the vaporwave community as far as like you know freedom to experiment with the genre and that you know even though we we do agree that nobody could come through with a grindcore record and just call it vaporwave yeah uh, it doesn't it doesn't seem like there's a lot in the way of like social taboos or anything like that uh in vaporwave that there's nobody like you know really kind of trying to police the tone of anybody's uh, music or narrative yeah, or anything yeah. like that uh, I, you know, so that somebody can sort of actively promote their record on YouTube and nobody really, you know, thinks, thinks of it as a negative thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the case. Like if you go to the Vaporwave subreddit, for example, like the whole place is just, uh, people posting their own work, including myself. Um, and I think that's actually a good thing really, because it sort of like drives the whole community aspect of what Vaporwave is. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else was you mentioning then? Sorry, like I was going to make another point. Uh, just something at the end you was mentioning about. Oh yeah, um, sorry. Uh, so about the YouTube thing, um, like I think that like the whole like um aspect of uh, Blank Banshee getting popular on YouTube is sort of what's been driving the genre, um, hmm. in general. Um, you can see it on the Macintosh Plus video as well. And now um, our 2814 album that someone uploaded on YouTube's really like growing in popularity as well, and I think that's um, actually helping like that album like come to some prominence like in the wider music scene rather than just vaporwave. So moving beyond today and sort of what you're doing with the label yeah. this year and, and going sort of into the future. What what do you think sort of the the cultural growth potential for for something like vaporwave is right now? I mean, it kind of seems like there was a moment where vaporwave was kind of like this musical sideshow for everybody to gawk at, but yeah. it has yeah. continued, you know, despite a lack of support from the mainstream music press, and has just kind of continued to to be a really, uh, I guess, want to say a, a very active community yeah. of artists and listeners. And it seems like, you know, as, as long as that continues, uh, there's always going to be some kind of potential for it into the future to be taken more seriously the next time it sort of rises up. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think it's sort of even rising up a little bit now. Like, um, for example, um, me and a few other guys off Dream Catalog um, recently did this uh, free day, I mean, free night Vaporwave event in Manchester in England as part of a um, thing called Future Everything Festival, which is like a quite quite a prestigious um, art, music, and science festival in Manchester, mm. um, and I don't think that would have come about um, if like that hadn't been like this like recent rise in the genre. And in I'd say about about the uh, about the past year or so since about this time last year, it's sort of been picking up a little bit of steam again. Um, I think in general. Like there's still this like perception of vaporwave being a bit of a joke genre for everyone to gawk at, like you say, but um, I think people's minds are start starting to turn around a bit on that now, um, and I think like as long as like artists within the genre keep out putting like good albums constantly, like people will see there is like good talent working within it, and there is like a good concept to be explored like even further than it is currently being right now as well. Uh, s sort of talking about the the whole joke thing that you that you were just uh, uh, mentioning. I mean, it, it seems like there are vaporwave artists out there who don't really take themselves too seriously. Although, you know, I I think sort of the 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 jokey intentions behind their creation 
yeah. uh, seem seem pretty plain as day. But uh, and 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 I think people might stumble across those artists occasionally and kind of maybe get a. a uh, a bit of a negative perception of the genre in general. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, w- w- would would you say that, you know, in, in good vaporwave music, is there room for, you know, sort of humor, for jokiness? Generally, the kinds of artists that you invite onto your label and work with, you know, do you yeah. find yourselves or sort of take yourselves as, you know, very serious musicians? It doesn't seem like you could necessarily be uh, uh, making such you know, ambient, relaxing, and, and sometimes very uh, uh, darker, eerie, or unsettling yeah, music yeah. And, and be so into the concepts surrounding this music, but also for there to be kind of a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing to it. Well, I think there is certainly an element of tongue-in-cheek um, music within Vaporwave, like you say. But I think um, sort of what's happened is quite interesting. Like, um, looking back to what Vaporwave was about, two or three years ago like like you said earlier it can be it could be defined by a specific sound and a specific vision and everything but sort of what was born out of that was about two or three like separate strands of what uh, the vision of vaporwave should be um like like i've explained my vision on here but um there's like another element of vaporwave which i'm not quite interested in myself which is sort of like the the Roman statues and all that stuff that you see on Tumblr quite often. We're in the post-Roman statue era. <laughs> yeah, I hope of so. Of Vaporwave, essentially. Yeah, I do hope so. Um, there's also, uh, like, future funk music as well, which is mm-hmm. sort of being born out of uh, St. Pepsi's popularity, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, there's a lot of different strands of Vaporwave, um, and, like, the like all three of them sort of get conflated together under this one umbrella term which is another reason why the genre can be so confusing to uh, people who are new to it as well. All right. This has been a uh, David of dream catalog records, uh, founder and uh, owner of the label, the internet's foremost vaporwave label, also a vaporwave artist himself talking with us about the genre and, uh, his label. Thanks for coming on, dude. Uh, thanks Anthony. And, uh, thanks for taking an interest in dream catalog as of late and, uh, good luck with the podcast. <laughs>